This message comes from NPR sponsor, the Capital One Venture X Card. Earn unlimited 2X miles on everything you buy. Plus, get access to a $300 annual credit for bookings through Capital One Travel. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. Details at CapitalOne.com. This is From the Top, where outstanding young musicians come to play. I'm your host, pianist Peter Dugan, and you just heard Julia Legrand, 
18-year-old violinist from Grand Rapids, Michigan, perform excerpts from Capriccio by Joaquin Rodrigo. Julia was on the program with us two years ago and shared a lot about her experiences being a blind musician. Julia, welcome. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. That was so beautiful, and I love your connection to this piece. Talk a little bit about that. This piece is very special to me because uh, I am a blind musician, and it's not super well known that Joaquin Rodrigo was also blind, and Mm. he wrote his music uh, using Braille music, actually, and his wife transcribed all of his music for him. And I just think it's a great piece, and it's such a fun story to tell. Thank you so much for sharing. We have a really special show for you today, celebrating the music of young disabled musicians. And Julia is here not just as a performer on the program, she's also my co-host today. Julia, this show is happening because you had this idea and you brought it to us. What excites you about this program today? Yeah, I was excited to bring this idea to From the Top uh, to highlight the stories of young disabled musicians and also their talent. Um, I think it's really exciting to hear about an array of different lived experiences of disability because it is such a varied and human experience. We have four brilliant musicians to showcase. And later on the show, Julia will share an exclusive interview with legendary violinist and disability advocate, by the way, Itzhak Perlman. But first, our next performer is 14-year-old visually impaired pianist Tristan Chen. He'll be playing La Leggerezza by Franz Liszt. Thank you. 
You heard 14-year-old pianist Tristan Chen perform Franz Liszt's La Leggerezza, one of his concert etudes for the piano. Tristan, welcome to From the Top. What a performance. Thank you. And I'm here with my co-host today, Julia Legrand. Wow, wasn't that stunning? That was incredible, Tristan. The amount of energy and life you put into that performance was so enjoyable and moving, too. Thanks. Tristan, I have to say you are one of the most joyful, positive young musicians that I've ever met here on From the Top. Um, Where do you find the joy? Where does that come from for you? You know, honestly, it's just there. (laughs) It's nowhere in sight, but I just grab a hold of it from the air. (laughs) I love it. Tristan, I'm curious, what is your visual experience like? So when I was about a year and a half, I had a retinal detachment, so that's how I was blind, right? And then um, Mm. I could not see a single thing whatsoever, so... Um, The only way I can tell, though, if there is light is if something is hot, like a light hot. Right. So, Tristan, I get asked this question a lot, and I'm sure you do, too. Um, As a blind musician, how do you go about learning your music? Um, I either read Braille music or I I just hear, do dictation. I am also a Braille music reader, um, and I know kind of what the ins and outs of getting braille music can look like, but can you talk a little bit about how that works? So, first of all, getting braille music is hard. You know, you have to get it transcribed or you have to go to the library, like a braille uh, library that provides service for um, visually impaired people. Mm-hmm. So you have to get the music and then you go home. There's a, there's a specific code for braille music that you use with dots, and it's pretty crazy and wacky, but you'll get it. And um, also, uh, you know, you have to memorize everything. So you have to read a bit and you have to memorize a bit. And it's just very stressful, but also a good, like, training process, sort of. But it's, like, twice as hard for blind people than it is for sighted. That's so interesting. You've talked about how you've sometimes felt rejected because of your blindness um, from participating in science projects or not getting the supports you need at school. And I know that, like from my own experience, this can be something that's difficult to work out. And at the same time, it can also feel incredibly routine because you can get so used to it. Um, So can you tell us a little bit about what that's been like for you and your journey with that sort of social side of blindness? Well, uh, I'm just going to say this, but if you're listening to this and you're a blind person, um, no offense, get ready to get rejected many, many times and um, get ready for the answer no a lot um, because like 90% of the things in the world that you do is just, you know, you have to be sighted, cooking, going out everywhere, you know, um, finding a supermarket item or you know everything you know you kind of have to see for everything um but as a blind person you know as they always say we just gotta do what we can right (laughs) and getting rejected honestly if it makes me feel like a total failure but then at the same time i hear people tell me don't say that about yourself you are not a failure 
You just can't <laughs> see, and they maybe they don't. Maybe they just can't get the support for you. That doesn't mean you're a failure or anything. All right. That's what they tell me, and I think you should tell that to yourself too. Um, do you think that there are advantages that your disability has given you, or things that you are kind of grateful uh, about being disabled because of? Well, yeah, of course there are things like, as you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna be an optimist now. Sorry about my pessimism, <laughs> but um, uh, you know, as a blind person. I, I, you know, there are things that, you know, some people like and some people don't. As a blind person, I do like roller coasters. And if I was to be a sighted person and I'd look at that orbit ride, I'd be like, holy moly, I'm not doing this. But as a blind person, I'm just like, yeah, whoa, this is so much fun, <laughs> you know? You have a way of of casting a positive light on just about everything you do, Tristan, and I feel so lucky to have had this chance to chat with you and to have heard you play um, thank you. Thank you, Julia, for this conversation. Thanks, both of you. Thank you. Thank you, Tristan. That was wonderful. Thank you. 14-year-old pianist Tristan Chen from San Jose, California. Today's show is all about celebrating the music and voices of young disabled musicians. And now we're going to hear from a 15-year-old from Vienna, Virginia, Joshua Thrush. He's a double bassist who has spina bifida. And like so many of our young musicians we talk to on the show, he has found a sense of belonging through music. Here he is performing Bottasini's Introduction in Gavat with pianist Bora Lee.
That was 15-year-old Joshua Thrush from Vienna, Virginia, performing Giovanni Battistini's Introduction in Gavotte on the double bass with Bora Lee at the piano. Wow, what a performance. So uh, virtuosic, but also full of character. Julia, what'd you think? Yeah, that was so just fun to listen to. You have such charm getting around the bass. It was just a pleasure. Thanks. Joshua, what do you think it was about the bass that drew you to it? Um, Kind of because it's a big instrument, <laughs> but, yeah. but also because um, my cousin... Someone in my family plays, he's a bassist in the L.A. Phil, Ted Botsford. Oh, cool. Oh, that's awesome. Well, I know that you've said that music maybe wouldn't have been your first choice for what to do outside of school. You were really drawn to sports, but that didn't necessarily pan out, right? Yeah. Tell me about that journey. So um, I was born with spina bifida occulta, which is it's a form of spina bifida where the, your spine's not exter- external. It's still covered, but it's covered by a piece of skin. So it's not like outside of your body, like external. If I wouldn't have spina bifida, I would have been able to do sports. My um, mm-hmm. dad was a wrestler, so I might have done wrestling. I probably would have done football. But mm-hmm. so spina bifida culture, it, it, it ca- for me, it causes weakness in my lower, in my legs, basically. Right. Was there, do you think it was sort of a coincidence that, the the sort of the chapter closed on on athletics and then a new chapter opened on music like how did that how did that moment in your life pan out my my dream career was to become a neurosurgeon actually the kind of surgeon that works in like oh, wow um, like the brain the brain and spine like neurosurgeon oh that's so mm-hmm. interesting so that would have been after sports and before music but as i started music and started progressing in it i Moved moved away from wanting to become like a doctor to wanting to become a musician, mm. and but when I started music, it kind of pushed me away from um, feeling as though I'm not able to com- um, complete a lot of things in life. They like moved me forward, mm. I think, from a time where I felt kind of um, displaced from most people. It's really important to remember that no person can do everything. And so whether you Mm -hmm. have a disability or not, it's so much of just finding what you excel at. Um, And so obviously you excel at the bass. So I'm glad you (laughs) are a musician. Without music, I would not have been able to like make myself known in any other circles because I would have been stuck as like just like the average Joe in school that gets A's. And the way music affects my identity is... It opens you up to new circles of people. Mm, thank you for sharing that. Disability can often, I think, lead to isolation. And so having such a great way to communicate with people, even just through the, you know, your performances themselves, I think is really like that for me personally has meant a lot and has been really important in my life. So I know that you also enjoy other uh, outdoor activities that aren't sports um, in the maybe traditional competitive sense. Um, can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, so um, I enjoy like the like activities such as like biking. Um, I, sometimes when I'm in places that I can, I enjoy hiking, like hi- like light hiking, not super heavy. Light hiking, and then also me and my father um, fish. Like we have a boat, so we go to like the river and we um, catch the fish. That's the fun activity that we do in the summer. Nice. Joshua, thank you again for spending time with us today and for that stunning performance. I just love your playing. Thank you. It was nice being with you too and sharing my music. 
15-year-old bassist Joshua Thrush from Vienna, Virginia. It's time now to take a short break, but don't go away. Next up, we'll meet Grace Novacek, a pianist, social media influencer, and advocate for disability awareness, and Adam Mandela Walden, one of the first profoundly autistic classical musicians to study at Berklee College of Music. And also coming up after the break, my interview with maestro Itzhak Perlman. You're listening to From the Top, and I'm pianist Peter Dugan. Did you know that From the Top posts short, beautiful videos of our young musicians every day? The series is called Daily Joy. During March and April, Daily Joy is featuring the performers from this episode, as well as many other disabled and neurodivergent young musicians who share their music and stories. Treat yourself to youthful inspiration daily. Sign up at fromthetop.org. Support for NPR comes from this station and from the Volgenov Foundation, supporting programs that protect the environment, educate children, and promote classical music. And from the Jack Kent Cooke Foundation, providing scholarships to high-achieving students with financial need. JKCF.org. And from the Massachusetts Cultural Council, a state agency connecting young people with the arts in schools and in their communities. Learn more at MassCulturalCouncil.org. And from the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, helping NPR advance journalistic excellence in the digital age. This is From the Top, where outstanding young musicians come to play. I'm your host, pianist Peter Dugan, and I'm so grateful to be with you this week and every week, thanks to the generosity of Susan and Gerald Slavitt. Well, Julia, we have something really special happening right now. You had a chance to interview the one and only violinist, Itzhak Perlman. It was such an incredible experience just to get to meet Mr. Perlman and to talk to him as someone who has heard so much of his music growing up and looked up to him all of my life. Yeah, let's hear some of that interview. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me, Mr. Perlman. Um, this is, of course, just such an incredible moment for me personally, and I'm really excited. My pleasure, my pleasure. This is really all about young people, and so I'd kind of like to start asking about your experiences playing violin when you were young. Um, my parents started me on violin when I was five, but I didn't really care that much about it. Um, and I'm curious if you remember your feelings about playing when you were young and when it be really became important to you. Well, I had um, the first time that I wanted to play was three and a half. 
and uh, it didn't really work. Uh, I, I, you know, it, it, everybody around me kept saying, this is not today, you know, today <laughs> is different. But at, at that time, they thought, oh, no, he's, he's a little too young for sure. that. And then when I had polio, I was about four and a half, you know, four and three months. And after that, uh, I wanted to actually play, you know, and then, and then my parents decided that that would be fine. Mm. And so started to play around, around five, you know. And did did I like it? Yes, I liked it. I didn't like the practice part of it, <laughs> uh, hated it, uh, but uh, enjoyed, you know, doing, you know, uh, playing little pieces from, you know, beginner's books and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then, you know, I had a fairly good teacher. She was of uh, Russian background at that time, you know. Uh, she wasn't well known, as a matter of fact, she, all, she only had two students, me and somebody else. <laughs> She decided that if the student was not good, she wouldn't teach that person. <laughs> it was very funny. I mean, she says, wait a minute, this person is horrible. I'm not going to teach them. I mean, that's why you teach them, because they're horrible. <laughs> but, uh, so I, but so she taught me because I was pretty good, and she taught the other person because she had pity on her. <laughs> <laughs> so in this episode, we are trying to present stories of disability to increase understanding of what disability is like lived out, but we're also just trying to share excellent performances by young musicians who happen to be disabled. And I know you talk a lot about how you hope people will separate um, disability from musical ability. And so can you talk a bit about what that has meant to you? Well, um, throughout my career, uh, I always uh, have been uh, sort of thinking about uh, attitudes Mm-hmm. towards people with disabilities and access. Mm-hmm. How do people talk to you mm-hmm. and how uh, easy it is to get around right. uh, or to go to a hotel and, and have the hotel uh, actually, you know, when, when the room says uh, ADA compliant, you know, what, what uh, if you pardon my French, what the hell does that mean? Yeah. That code book, that it's like a blessing and a, and a curse that uh, Americans with Disabilities Act, you know, mm-hmm. because it basically takes away the thought Right. Of what really is necessary for somebody that has a disability. Yeah. Not just, uh, you know, well, you know, look at the code. It says blah, blah, blah. I'm going to do it and I'm not going to think about it anymore. Mm-hmm. So that's what I'm still uh, uh, dealing with that. Yeah. There are so many things that you can do to help somebody with a disability. And, of course, you know, you cannot just say disability, you know, because right. there's so many different disabilities. Yeah. You know, there's no such as, oh, I is disabled. Right. Boom. That's it. Right. Mm-hmm. I don't know if, uh, if you had this situation where somebody, if they talk to you, if they see it, there's a disability, they usually, if you're with somebody else, they usually talk to the other person. They don't talk yeah. to you. Yeah. So especially if somebody is in a, in a, in a wheelchair, or, mm-hmm. or in my case, I'm in a scooter, yeah. still the, the tendency is uh, if you go to the airport, is for people to go to, to the person that accompanies. Where, where is he going? Right. You yeah. know, does he have a lot of bags? And, and I usually just say and then they start oh he can right. talk <laughs> yeah he can, he can talk yeah <laughs> so i know you said that eventually you wanted people to talk a little bit more about your disability and you started talking a lot more about access yes um can you kind of talk about what sparked that change well it's it, i was getting sick and tired of 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 going through the garbage elevators in concert halls mm-hmm. and so on 
and it was it was beginning to be you know I mean like if you wanted to go backstage it was a problem mm -hmm. if you wanted to use the bathroom you know sometimes it's upstairs yeah and there were so many incidences that I decided that uh, I I needed to talk more about it I also mm -hmm. um, recommended myself as an advisor to people who started to who were thinking of building new halls. Mm. So I would go and talk with, uh, with the architects, you know, and we go over the floor plan. Imagine if you're sitting down and you have a problem breathing and you need a, uh, one of those mm -hmm. things that uh, helps you breathe. Well, how would it feel if, if you are running, if your battery is running low? So put in some outlets on the floor of, 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 mm. the, of the concert hall so that you can plug plug yourself in mm -hmm. another thing that i found that you know if if somebody's in a chair they usually have the last seat you mm -hmm. know in the hall you know yeah. you want good seats you know yeah. you don't want you don't want to feel like you're a second class citizen and, yeah. and, and so on and so forth so for this episode featuring young musicians with disabilities do you have any particular advice for these musicians who are just starting out trying to navigate these sort of complexities we've been discussing? To navigate, uh, shall we say, you know, to think about having a life mm -hmm. in music. Yeah. First of all, one thing you have to do is you have to have passion mm -hmm. for what you're doing. Yeah. So assuming that you have passion for what you're doing, uh, you have to have imagination and you have to be uh, sort of not... Uh, close-minded to what you can do and what you cannot do. In other words, mm -hmm. I, I sometimes you have people saying, well, you know, I'll give you an example. If I can't play a concerts with an orchestra, then what's the use? Mm -hmm. You can't do that. Mm -hmm. You know, there. if you are in music, feel that you are very, very lucky to be in this profession. And there are so many things that you can do. You know, as a violinist, whether you can play solo, whether you can play chamber music, whether you can play in an orchestra or in a chamber orchestra, where, whether you can teach. Mm -hmm. There's so many things that you can do with it. Mm -hmm. The important thing is to do what you say. Now, if, if just to be kind of very, very clear, before all of that, the way you practice, I will say the same thing that I say to everybody else, practice slowly. <laughs> because, and then I'll repeat, if you practice slowly, you forget slowly. When you practice slowly, you can figure out that everything that you do has to be just right. It doesn't have to be a lot. You can, you can take two bars or three bars or four bars, but as long as everything is in tune and so on, then you're in good shape. Mm -hmm. And then, and then, then it, you'll never forget it. Thank you so much for taking the time to do this. I really oh, appreciate pleasure. it. Oh, my pleasure. Yeah, wonderful. Thank you. I just loved hearing that conversation between the two of you, Julia, and what an inspiration he is, huh? Yeah, I learned so much from talking with him. And we're going to meet another passionate advocate right now. It's the very charming Grace Novacek, a 16-year-old pianist with Escobar syndrome. Grace, hey, welcome. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Oh, we're thrilled, and you've got a gorgeous piece to share. What are you going to play? So I will be playing Nocturne by Grieg. Um, it's a really pretty classical piece. It's honestly one of my favorites, and yeah. All right, Julia, why don't you say my line? Whenever you're ready, take it from the top. Awesome.
You just heard 16-year-old pianist Grace Novacek from Westlake, Texas, perform Grieg's Nocturne, Opus 54, number four. It was a beautiful performance. You just made the piano sing. I love your trills too, Grace. Thank you so much. Yes, that, that definitely took a lot of work, but it paid off. So, What did you think, Julia? I just, I loved how personal and intimate that performance felt. It really, as cliche as it sounds, it really felt like it came from your heart and it was just beautiful. Thank you so much. That means a lot. You know, watching you perform just now, I was struck by the idea of technique and how each of us has a different body and we have to develop a technique to match our body. And I know sometimes I suggest fingerings to students that work for me and they don't work for their hand at all. Uh, But your technique is just marvelous, the way you've developed a technique to match your body. Would you tell me a little bit about that journey? Yeah, so I use mostly my pointer finger. Um, That's what I started out using. And then over time, I learned to play third interval chords um i use three of them together and then my pointer finger and push down and then i learned to do triplets um with the same three fingers to the side my pointer finger and then rolling i guess over with my wrist and then my thumb and then i learned to play fourth interval chords um i just stretched my hand a little wider i guess i just didn't really know that i could do that And then on my right hand, I had a surgery a few years ago, and they took my thumb out and moved it so I had a better range of motion. Um, And now on my right hand, I can play six intervals, um, which I couldn't before. I can only play five. Um, So that's kind of the adaptations that I use on piano. Could we back up for a minute and just have you explain for our listeners... um what Escobar syndrome is, what your history with it has been, and um, just sort of some of the kind of day-to-day ways that it impacts your life. Yeah, of course. So I have what is called Escobar syndrome. It's a type of arthrogryposis, which affects my muscles and joints and just makes them like really tighter. It's a genetic condition, um, and it affects my mobility, my speech, my walking, Thank you so much for sharing. Of course. Grace, you have such an interesting story. And one of the things that's really interesting to me is that you have chosen to make a lot of that public on your YouTube channel and other social media platforms. And I understand you go there by the handle Grace Nova. And I'm curious, what made you want to put so much of your life out there and make it so public? The main purpose on sharing my disability, I guess, is like normalizing it and like Mm -hmm. being more accepting and kind in the disability community. Um, Mm -hmm. Advocacy for people with disabilities, Mm because, I mean, I'm kind of loud and bold, so hopefully I can get the word out there. That way, you know, we can create, oh, that sounds really cringy. We can create like a better world for people with disabilities in general. One of the things... Uh, that's so compelling about you in general is your openness, your your willingness to share, and also your great sense of humor. Thank you. So I wanted to ask you, and Julia, maybe you can chime in too. Um, sometimes I think able-bodied folks like myself feel or act awkward when we are around someone who looks or acts atypical or is perceived outside of the norm. That's very true. Yes. It's true, right? I mean, I I probably sound awkward right now just trying to (laughs) ask this question. Um, 
But it's okay. It's what, not going to offend me. I've definitely <laughs> heard worse. I can promise you that. Um, so, so what I'm hoping you could share with, with me and, you know, with, with our listeners is like, what's something that we could do to be better? Or what's something that has happened in your life that just kind of rubs you the wrong way? So I would say if you like interact with them, treat them normally. That is what I would say. 100%. If they have like a physical disability, like let's say a wheelchair and there are stairs coming up. Absolutely. You can say, oh, do you need any help, by the way? But really casual. And if they say no, do not keep pressing. If they're like, are you sure? No, no, it's fine. I can help you. No means no. So you can just kind of step back. Yeah, I really resonate with that answer, Grace. And I think for me and for lots of other blind people, at least, and obviously I can't speak to everyone's experience, but a huge thing when people try to offer assistance is A, not asking and just trying to give it, which is super Mm. frustrating. And B, just not taking no for an answer if you do ask. And then it's frustrating, right? Because if you're blind, you can't see them, you know, if, I mean, depending on the level of vision, of course, but if you're someone like me who doesn't, has basically no residual vision, like that can be a really frustrating thing because like you can't see it coming. Yeah. I would say for other people, well, it depends on who you are as a person. Do what you're comfortable with. Definitely stick up for yourself. Though. That would be the main thing. Um, it's just been a real pleasure chatting with both of you. And I appreciate um, who you are as people and, and as musicians. Um, just such excellent musicianship and loved that Greek. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. It was so great to meet you guys. It was nice to meet you all, too. 16-year-old pianist Grace Novacek, or if you're looking on social media, just Grace Nova, and she's from Westlake, Texas. Today we are celebrating and amplifying the voices of young disabled musicians, and I just want to thank you, Julia. Your input, your ideas that you've brought us for this program are extending beyond the show, and ultimately they're going to really help from the top grow and become more accessible and inclusive, so thank you. You're welcome. At the end of the day, I'm only an expert on my experience of disability, so it's been so powerful to meet these other young disabled performers and hear their stories and listen to their incredible music. Well, powerful for all of us. Let's introduce our next performer now. This is Adam Mandela Walden, the 26-year-old cellist from Los Angeles, now living and studying in Boston. Yes, Adam Mandela Walden is one of the first profoundly autistic students to be admitted to the Berklee College of Music. Here he is performing the Intermezzo from Goyescas by Enrique Granados with Constantine Finehouse at the piano.
I was just so impressed with the heart and soul that Adam brought to that performance. Yeah, his sound was so brilliant. Yeah, I'm excited to share our process in working with Adam Mandela. As a blind person, I'm constantly making adjustments to how sighted people do things and getting accommodations like getting my music ahead of time or getting to know a space beforehand. And Adam Mandela, as a neurodivergent person, needs accommodations too. He communicates best by receiving questions ahead of time and typing out his answers so he can read them aloud. Right. So let's go meet Adam. Adam, that was such a beautiful performance. That was really lovely. Thank you. Can you speak a little bit about your experience living with autism and how that intersects with your identity as a musician? Having profound autism is a lot of hard work. I have to work very hard to talk to anyone about anything. Sometimes I run away and I don't know why I'm running away. I always need to have someone with me to make sure that I am safe. I have autism-related epilepsy. I have 40-plus seizures every day that makes it hard for me to understand what people are saying to me. I have gastrointestinal issues that are potentially fatal without special medication, diet, and care. The good news is that I never have a seizure when I am playing music or even listening to music. My doctors do not know why music can stop my epilepsy, but they also say that they are not surprised. It might be part of being diagnosed as having savant syndrome, type A music. Autism has given me perfect pitch and the ability to memorize thousands of hours of music that I have only heard one time. So you grew up in Los Angeles, but now you are living in Boston. So what do you like about being on the East Coast? I like Boston because it has a lot of snow. In Los Angeles, there is only snow on top of the mountains. In Boston, there is a really good transit system. I can take the bus or subway with my helper anywhere I want to go. In Boston, I live in the Piano Guild apartments where there are a lot of painters and musicians who don't get upset when I practice scales. Can you tell me about what you're studying at the Berklee School of Music and what you like about it? I was accepted into both Berklee and Boston Conservatory. I chose Berklee because I wanted to take jazz and singing as well as classical, and I wanted to study with Eugene Friesen and Natalie Haas. I first met Natalie Haas when I was 10 years old at the National Cello Institute camp in Claremont, California. And she taught me how to play Celtic music on my cello. Classical cello music can get a bit gloomy, so when I volunteer at hospice homes in LA, everyone really enjoys Celtic. I love Celtic music too, so much. You've said that your music is a way for you to communicate with the world, but you also use music to provide comfort to others. Can you talk specifically about the volunteer work that you do as well? I also volunteer at Berkeley Institute for Accessible Arts Education, which is a Saturday program at Berkeley that teaches children and adults with special needs how to play musical instruments, compose and sing, Adam Mandela, thank you so much for being here with us today, and thank you for sharing your music and your story. Yes, thank you for being with us, Adam.
Yes, thank you. That was 26-year-old cellist Adam Mandela Walden from Los Angeles, California. Adam Mandela's story is so powerful. And one of the themes that he touches on, but we've heard a little bit throughout the episode today, is this idea that having a disability can also bring advantages and ways of being that would otherwise, you know, not be discovered or maybe not even be possible. Um, Julia, what would you say your blindness has given you? Like some of the musicians on this show, blindness was actually one of the biggest factors that started me in music in the first place. Hmm. And I think it has kept me connected with music despite having to find workarounds in music to accommodate my blindness. I also think that being blind has just connected me with such a powerful and incredible community that is the disability community. Julia, it's been such a gift to be able to co-host this show with you. I want to thank you for bringing this idea to us at From the Top. It wouldn't have happened without you. And also just for being my partner. I've loved getting to spend more time together and um, your guidance, your wisdom. Uh, All of us at From the Top are so grateful to you as we try to bring more attention and awareness to young disabled musicians. Thank you. This has been such an honor and so much fun. (laughs) Folks, that's our show for today. I hope you enjoyed learning with me. A huge thank you to all of our performers. It's been a real honor. And to you, listening at home or in the car or perhaps while enjoying a long, peaceful train ride. Thanks for spending this time with us. I'm Peter Dugan. Please join me next week, and we'll take it from the top. Thank you to Western Sound Studios at Western Michigan University in Kalamazoo, Michigan, and to sound engineer Paul Shadig. A very special thank you to the Kennedy Center's Office of Accessibility and VSA for their invaluable support, guidance, and partnership. Thank you to Kent Stump at Crystal Clear Sound in Dallas, Texas. And a big shout out to Berkeley School of Music in Boston, Massachusetts, and to the students who helped out with recordings there, Maria Fernando Regino, Mar Jimenez Marine, Alejandro Welliver, and Victoria Wang. Thank you to Ken Schubert at Q Recording Studio in Falls Church, Virginia. And finally, thank you to Schumann Music Studio in San Francisco, California, and sound engineer A. Cody Hamilton. From the Top is produced by Megan Swan and Jessica Tickton. Sound design and music editing by John Escobar with editing and mastering by Rodrigo Cuenca. Our production manager is Amanda Roth. From the Top's executive director is Gretchen Nielsen. From the Top is an independent nonprofit organization based in Boston. If you'd like to appear on our program, apply online at fromthetop.org. From the Top is supported in part by an award from the National Endowment for the Arts on the web at arts.gov. Support for NPR comes from this station and from the Massachusetts Office of Travel and Tourism, offering visitors information about the arts, culture, and history of Boston. The journey begins at visitma.com. And from Dignity Memorial, helping families plan life celebrations now so their loved ones are protected later, because nobody should have to plan for a loss while they're experiencing one. Learn more at dignitymemorial.com. This is NPR. Thanks for listening to our podcast. You know, while From the Top is distributed by NPR, it isn't owned by NPR. It's an independent nonprofit, and so we have to do our own fundraising to make it happen. Please consider making a donation to our ongoing entertainment and education programs 
at fromthetop.org. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Stearns & Foster. Every Stearns & Foster mattress is handcrafted for irresistible comfort with indulgent memory foam and ultra-conforming IntelliCoils for your most comfortable sleep. Learn more at stearnsandfoster.com. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Betterment. Confusing eye contact with a mysterious stranger is never chill. But Betterment is the investing app that lets you be totally chill about your finances. Betterment.com. Investing involves risk. Performance is not guaranteed. With NPR Plus, there's more to hear, like extended interviews with some of the experts we talk to at Planet Money and The Indicator. It's a mistake for economists to only think about economic efficiency when considering policies because you'll actually wind up with a worse outcome. And with NPR Plus, you help keep NPR going. Learn more at plus.npr.org.